Every time we have a baptism, we like to concentrate our prayers that morning on the, the person being baptized and lift them up in prayer, and so let's all bow together. Father, we rejoice this morning in uh, the, the baptism that has happened in our midst today. Father, we, we thank you for uh, the fact that, uh, that there is newness of life. We thank you for the fact that you are still willing to come down into our lives and, and work with us, transform us, help us to become the people that you want us to be. Father, I pray this morning for Ken as he continues in his faith, Father, that you would open up doors for him, bless his uh, desire, Father, to, to honor you with his life and to bring you glory with his life. Father, I, I pray that um, uh, that you will help to increase his knowledge and, and, of you and, Father, help him to, uh, to be able to be useful to you in service. Father, we, we pray for ourselves as a church that we will continue to be a place that boldly proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is hope and that there is salvation in Jesus. Father, uh, go with us now as we look into your word. We pray this morning that, um, that we may learn something new and, Father, that uh, we may see you more clearly. I pray for all these things in Jesus' name and amen. Grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to look into the word in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, let's dig in there together. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going through the Christmas prophecies this morning. We're going to look at 13 through 15, um, talking about a, a, a part of the story after uh, Jesus has been born, the wise men have come, um, and, um, and as Herod has found out about this new king that's been born, it scares him. And so um, there's going to be um, a, a change of location for Jesus and his family. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read 13 through 15. We're going to focus on the prophecy that's listed uh, in this passage. When they had gone, an angel, that's the Magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So, I'm sorry, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. If you have your sermon outline, let's start with the immediate cause, and then we're going to get into the deeper meaning of this passage, which is a, a profound one this morning. The immediate cause uh, is Jesus and his family were fleeing Herod's oppression. Jesus and his family were fleeing Herod's oppression. So as you look in this passage, the immediate situation is Herod finds out there's a new king, he's going to panic about it, and end up uh, slaughtering, we'll get into the, that passage next week, uh, the children in Bethlehem that are two years old and younger. But as we look at the passage here, as uh, we're focusing on uh, verse 15, where it says, out of Egypt I called my son, and Jesus and his family end up in Egypt because of the reality of the oppression of Herod. Herod is scared, and he's going to create a large problem uh, within uh, that situation. Now, this is going to lead us to the big thing I want to talk about this morning, and we'll get to that in, in just a second. There are two things, though, uh, two smaller points that I think are worth mentioning before we get to the 
uh, to the big point. Number one is this. So we have Jesus. He's, he's relatively young at this point um, and probably two years old, something like that. And they are going to flee down. They're going to run down uh, to Egypt to get away from the oppression. So we end up with Jesus in Egypt as a child. Um, and the Bible tells us almost nothing about that. Uh, and as somebody who's just really curious, like, wouldn't you like to know, um, you know what exactly did Joseph do while they were down there? How long were they there? Did they see uh, 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 amazing ways that God provided for them down there, or was it a struggle while they were down there? How long did they stay down there before they ended up uh, being able to come back? All those, There's so many questions there, and we don't have the answer to them. And, um, and so one thing about the, the flight down to Egypt is just, it, it makes me wonder what Jesus' life was like down there. Um, and we don't have an answer uh, because the Bible doesn't give us those answers. But are, are you all like me? Wouldn't it be great to know more about what it was like down there? But, but we don't. The second small point that comes to my mind, um, it has to do with this particular passage. So there in, you know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, goes back to Nazareth. Uh, the wise men come to him in Nazareth, and then they flee to Egypt. And so Jesus spends a significant portion. We don't know how long, but Jesus spends a significant portion of his childhood in Egypt. Which, this is not the sermon this morning, but the fact that Jesus spends a significant portion of his childhood in Egypt makes me want to stop and make a point this morning, so I'm going to make that point. There are people, there have been for forever, and, and you, know, you go all the way back and, and for, for centuries and centuries, and it continues to today. Um, there are those, and some of them claim to be Christians, although I question that, but there are Christians and other people but specifically, I want to talk to the Christians for a second this morning. There are people out there who claim to be Christians who also believe in white supremacy. And this passage is really interesting because let's just pause for a second and think about the, the incredibly stupid thing that they believe. And think about what this passage says. So God the Father chose for His Son to be born into the world as an olive-skinned Middle Eastern man who spent a significant portion of his childhood in Africa. And you're going to tell me that God also thinks somehow that white supremacy is true. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. Because if Jesus, if, if, if Jesus is the Son of God and God believes in all that stupidity that white supremacists talk about, and yet he chose for his son to be born an olive-skinned Middle Eastern man who spent the, the, a significant portion of his childhood in Egypt, in Africa, God's not particularly competent in how he did that. Um, it's just a reminder to us of how ridiculous, especially with the, the Africa part of this, of how ridiculous that viewpoint is. Now, having got those two side things out of the way, I want to get to the big idea that we see in Jesus coming out of Egypt. So let's look in verse 15. So as we talk about verse 15, we see here um, this prophecy of out of Egypt I called my son. Now, 
we need to pause for a second and, and talk about the fact, you know, we kind of just take, well, of course, this is a Christmas story. The, the story didn't have to be this way. It could have been, it could have been a different way. And yet within the story, we see Jesus ends up in Egypt. And part of the story is that out of Egypt, God calls his son. What is the significance, spiritually speaking, of that? The answer is this. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. So by that I don't mean that Jesus is the reincarnation of Moses. We don't believe in reincarnation. But rather, if you had a, a, a bold leader in England today, and they were really stepping up during a time of crisis, somebody might say, well, you know, he's the new Churchill. Well, in the same way here, there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies that um, the, uh, surrounding the life of, of Moses that are symbolic of and point us toward who Jesus is going to be. Uh, I want, this isn't a complete list, but on your sermon outline, flip it over for a second. But there's two main, there's, there's two passages I want to look at and really drill down on this morning. But before we get to that, I, I want to just, when I say Jesus is the new Moses, that Jesus is, is bringing forward things that Moses did, I want to just give you, and this is not a complete list, but some of the ways that the life of Moses and the life of Jesus parallel. Okay, we're just going to read this briefly just to, so that everybody can have an idea of how much parallel there is. Number one, both were born when Gentiles ruled God's people. Both had their births marked by the slaughter of innocent children by an evil ruler. Both were hidden as babies to keep them safe. Both were raised by a father who was not their natural father. Both were sons of the king. Both, were, both saw the struggles of God's people and had compassion for them. Both were in exile in a foreign land until a king died. Both were shepherds to God's people. Both had supernatural occurrence, uh, had a supernatural occurrence to, be, to begin their ministry. Both performed public miracles by God's power. Both taught God's people to remember their deliverance by participating in, in a meal. For Moses, it was a Passover. For us, for Jesus, through uh, handed down to us communion. Um, both gave their people bread from heaven. Both faced murmurings from the people. Both were threatened with stoning. Both fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Both had their faces shine with God's glory. Both shared how God wanted to be worshipped. Both shared words from God. Both fed a multitude supernaturally. Both were criticized by their family. Both were judges. Both were delivered, or both delivered their people through blood. Both came down to God's people and took them to the promised land. So, looking at this list, let's just pause for a second, make sure we're all on the same page. If, if you think that's a pretty impressive list, will you say amen? That, that's an impressive list of all, and this isn't even a complete list, of all the parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Moses. Now, I, I want to flip back, keep your finger here in Matthew, but I want to go back to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. So flip all the way back to the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And we want to get down into the biggest parallel, the biggest connection uh, between Jesus' life and, and the life of Moses, which helps us to know uh, exactly what Jesus came down here for and what exactly he uh, intended to do. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we want to read starting in verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 
and verse 15. It says, The Lord your God, this is, we're, we're talking to, to about the time when Moses um, is on the scene, back in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. The me here is Moses. Moses is telling them, Lord's going to raise a prophet up like me uh, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Hopping down to verse 17. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. As you go back to verse 15, this is an incredibly important prophecy, and we're going to look to see in the New Testament where uh, it, it applies to Jesus. But Moses here is telling them, the Lord your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And so there's going to come a time, Moses says, in the future where God is going to raise up, and the phrase that is used is the prophet. God's going to raise up the prophet who will be uh, like me. He will serve a role like I did for you. Now, as you roll forward into John chapter 1, let's go back to the New Testament. We were in Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we're going to see the fulfillment of that. In John chapter one, um, let's so to set the scene. John the Baptist has shown up, um, and John the Baptist is creating this big stir where lots of people are coming out and seeing what he has to say and being baptized. And the the religious leaders are kind of worried um, because John's not somebody that they control, and so they come out to him. And one of the questions they're asking him is, "Are you the prophet?" And when they ask the question, are you the prophet, they're pointing back to that passage in Deuteronomy. They're saying, are you the new Moses? Are you the guy that Moses talked about all those years ago? John chapter 1, let's start in verse uh, 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Here's the one for us this morning. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So there's three different roles here that are being asked about. Three different prophecies. The Messiah, Elijah, the second coming of Elijah. Again, not Elijah reincarnated, but instead the second coming of Elijah serving a different role. And, uh, and the prophet. And so, as you can see at the end of 21, John the Baptist is directly asked, are you the new Moses? Are you the prophet that Moses talked about? And he answers, no. Now, as you hop down to verse 24, now the Pharisees who had, sent, who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, he replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Hop down to verse 34. 
John is speaking about Jesus and he says, I have seen and I testify that this is, speaking of Jesus, this is God's chosen one. What they didn't realize as you go back to verse 25 is when we look at the role of Messiah and Elijah and the prophet, Jesus is coming and, and this one who is going to be the prophet is not just an ordinary person, but it's going to be God incarnate. It's going to be the Son of God come down in order to be able to, uh, to be the, the new Moses, in order to be able to bring about what is prophesied there. So, so John says, I'm not the new Moses, but this guy Jesus is the new Moses. He's the prophet. So the question is then, it, it, we talked about all those parallels a minute ago. What is the biggest parallel? What exactly is, when we talk about being the prophet, what's the biggest thing that Jesus parallels Moses in? Well, flip with me over, this is the last passage we'll go to, flip with me over to, still in John, to John chapter 8. And we want to spend a few minutes here. John chapter 8. So, John chapter 8 gives us the answer. What the connection is between who Jesus is and who Moses was. And this is the third thing in your outline. Out of Egypt, each led God's people out of captivity. Each led God's people out of captivity. Now, when we look back to the story of Moses, everybody knows that story. They're down in Egypt. They, they've gone down. They've been down there for 400 years. And as they're down there, they're slaves. And as they are slaves, God sends Moses as the leader, as the prophet, to pull them out of captivity and take them where? Into the promised land. And so Moses comes down in this role of leadership as the prophet to lead them to where God wants them to be. And so he leads them out of captivity. In John chapter 8, we see that very idea talked about. Look at me in, well, let's start in 31. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is important for what I want to talk about right now. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free. So first of all, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, the whole story of Moses is that they were in Egypt and they were in captivity. Everybody knew they were the Hebrew slaves, and yet the arrogance of the people and the lack of, of or the, the pride that they have and the lack of humility, they say here, we've never been slaves to anyone. That's not true. They're just full of pride and they don't want to admit the situation that they were in when they were in Egypt. And so, um, as Jesus is coming here, he's going, to, um, he's going to give them the truth that they need to understand. Now, we're going to make a parallel between what Moses did and what Jesus does. And as we think about, let's start here, the, the reality that in verse 33, you know, clearly the, the, the Hebrews, he, clearly the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and yet, in verse 33, they don't want to admit that. We roll that forward to what Jesus is doing, and that is, there's a huge parallel there today. Because even though the Bible talks about, spiritually speaking, 
we are enslaved to sin. Many of us, especially um, those that, that don't want to become Christians, will say, you know, I'm not enslaved to sin. I, I, can, I have control of my life. I don't have to sin if I don't want to. And we refuse to admit, even though the Bible says we're enslaved to sin, we refuse to admit that, that we are in slavery. Just like the Hebrews here refused to admit that they were in slavery all those years ago, that they were in captivity. Now, looking at verse uh, 36, it says there, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus is coming. Moses comes to Egypt and offers them a chance for freedom to get out of Egypt. Jesus here comes offering a chance. He is the Son here, and He offers them a chance to be free indeed. Now, as you go back up to 32, how, do we, how are we set free? Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We come to be free when we understand Jesus is the truth. Jesus is sharing with us the truth. The truth includes the fact that I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of the glory of God and I can't work my way out of it and I need the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, what we were talking about earlier with the baptism. I need to understand the truth and accept the truth and say this is who I really am. And once I've received that and understand what Jesus has done for me, the truth will set me what? Free. So he's not just talking about, you know, that, that's kind of pretty words and it's been used in different speeches just as, as a pretty thing to say, but it, it, it's not just a pretty thing to say. It's a spiritual principle. Jesus comes to tell us the truth about who we are and how much God loves us, and as he comes to do that, we, if we believe in Jesus, receive him into our lives and say, I believe what Jesus said, I believe the truth that he laid out in front of us, when we receive that, we will, we will be set now, continuing on down through there, as you look at 31, how do, we, how do we experience that truth? Well, 31 tells us, it says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And so it's not enough that we just say, oh, okay, I, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I guess, and then run off and live our lives some other way. But instead, we understand what 32 says. I will know the truth, and the truth will set me free. Jesus comes to tell us the truth about who we are and how we can be safe. And it's not just that I say I believe, but 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So I believe in what Jesus taught. I believe in who He was. I believe in what He did for my life. And then I walk forward in His teaching. I continue to walk the way that He tells me to walk. I continue to walk in the way that He has instructed me because as I do that, I will continue to be His disciple and continue to experience that freedom that He is offering. And so as you look at this passage as a whole, we go back to Moses. Moses' people, the biggest thing that they needed, they were in captivity. They were in slavery in Egypt. And, G, and Moses comes and he is God's chosen person to bring them out of captivity and into the promised land. As you go back to Matthew, let's go back there. As we go back to Matthew, and we look at this passage again, understanding the, um, the historic significance of Moses as the prophet, and the historic significance of Moses bringing his people up out of captivity. Verse 14, 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled. Remember we talked last week about the fact that the fulfillments are important. These are prophecies from the Old Testament saying, this is who the, the, this is who the, the Savior is going to be. This is who uh, is going to come and, and, and be my messenger. And so it's important that there are these prophecies. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. It's not just, well, you know, it could have been Syria or it could have been uh, Persia or it could have been any other country. No, there's enormous symbolic significance. In the Old Testament, God calls His people out of Egypt through Moses, out of captivity, into freedom. In the New Testament, and it is echoed here, it's foreshadowed here in what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is brought out of Egypt, and that's symbolic of the fact that He has come to spiritually bring us out of captivity. He has come to spiritually bring us into freedom and out of the land that we were in. Which leads us to the last question, and that is this. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? So when we think about what is being said here, Jesus is putting forward through the Bible the idea that we are, John chapter 8, we are spiritually oppressed, we are spiritually in captivity, and He is offering us freedom if we believe in Him and we allow Him to work in our lives as we have that belief and we walk forward in His, uh, in His teaching. So the question this morning is this, do I want to experience that spiritual freedom? Do I want to continue to be a slave to my sin? Do I want to continue to be stuck in the sin that I'm in? Or do I believe that Jesus, just like Moses called His people out of captivity, Jesus calls His people out of captivity, and that we are born to be spiritually free, and that that happens through what Jesus has done for us? Do I believe that this morning? And if you don't, if, if you've never believed that before, is this morning the morning where you say, I believe what Jesus said, and I want to experience that freedom. And because of that, I'm going to believe in the new Moses, Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, we're thankful for the freedom that Jesus offers. We're thankful for the newness of life that He brings. And Father, I pray this morning that if there are those here that have not experienced that, that this may be the morning that they know the freedom that is in Christ. We're thankful that all this was organized by You from the very beginning. You knew the plan. And You foreshadowed it in Moses. And Him bringing His people out of captivity. Father, continue to bring spiritually bound people into newness of life and freedom through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing 438 this morning for our invitation song, which is...